here when I was a young dad that someday my sons would be sitting at a psychiatrist's office and he would look at them and say, what did your father do to you? I guess I feared I would really mess him up. I had this image of parenting in my mind that it would look like a Thomas Kincaid painting, you know, or a Norman Rockwell painting. And it wound up most of the time being like an episode of The Simpsons. And I thought, parenting is so messy. Well, we're going to go back into the book of Ephesians this morning and finish up probably in the month of January, I assume. And we're going to read Ephesians 6, 1 to 4 today. That's our text. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So a few weeks ago, we talked about marriage and the roles of men and women to love and respect. And I added the word unselfishness to love and respect. So I have a couple of words for children today that I want to share. Charlie Shedd used to do uh, parenting workshops. All right. So he didn't have kids when he began doing those workshops, those lectures. So his first lecture was called Proven Principles for Effective Parenting. Then he had his first child and he changed the title of the lecture to Counsel for Those Trying to Parent. Then he had a second Then he changed the title to Some Suggestions for Fellow Strugglers. By the time he had his 30, stop giving the talk. It's tough raising kids, especially in today's culture. Yeah, I remember sitting at a restaurant, Kathy and I, and it's before we had kids, I think, or maybe ours were babies. Maybe our oldest was a baby. But there was a family sitting next to us at the next table, and this child was out of control, screaming, crying, fussy. And my thought in my mind was, why doesn't this parent or these parents do something to control their child? And then we took our two-year-old to a restaurant. And I remember being quickly humbled. I felt inadequate probably the most of our child-rearing times. But I know God helped us. And God will help you, too, if you're in that role, especially with young children. And there's lots in the Bible to instruct you. And that's what's good, including our text here. I think of every family like an antique, that it's priceless and it's beautiful, but it can get dust on it and scratches on it. And you've got to work with it. You've got to clean it up so it's restored to its pristine beauty again. So the finish is lustrous once more. Maybe a few parts need to be fixed, and that's okay. You you just know in your heart, you know, I could buy a newer version of this, and it would be so much easier and better, but you just can't do it. You can't just toss it in the garbage can because it's so valuable. So let's talk about how does God want my children to respond to me? So what does God want from children? It's clear cut. It's right here in the Bible, kids. If any kids are still in this room, maybe they're not. Your parents are going to have to tell you this message. This is your job description, children. Here it is. Your action is obedience. Your action is obedience. And your attitude is to honor. 
Action is obedience. Attitude is to honor. That's it. It's simple. That's your job description. So children, obedience while you are still in the home with your parents, not so much when you're grown up and on your own, but to show honor to your parent or parents is for a lifetime. Even when they don't deserve it, you give it. You respect them because of their role that they had as your mother or father. They did bring you into the world after all. Or if you were adopted, your, your adoptive parents raised you. They, they changed your diapers. They fed you. Your biological mother carried you to term. That most did the best they could. I say to kids, just be glad that you don't live in ancient Israel. Look at Leviticus 20 and verse 9. For anyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or mother. His blood is upon him. So you can't be executed today, though. Your parents probably considered it at one time or another. You need to obey. You need to show honor. And I would say honor all adults. Why not call them Mr. and Mrs. And be polite. Have good manners. Be respectful to adults. In fact, I would say this, and this is honest, not just blowing smoke this morning. I think we've got some very respectful kids and teenagers in our church that have good manners. And you parents, you've done a good job. I want to commend you for that. And it's easier to obey your parents and show them honor when they're good parents, like mine were. My parents were Christian parents. They raised me the right way. But by my teen years, I became very disrespectful and rebellious. I was a horrible sinner. When I hear people talking in culture about be your true self, I don't want to be my true self. That was my true self, and it was really ugly and bad. And God forgave me. And over the years, I would just come back to my parents and say, you know, I was really a knucklehead when I was living in your home. Would you forgive me? And they said, oh, we forgave you long ago. And they would just keep reassuring me of that. But maybe your parents weren't so great. Maybe your dad wasn't in the home. Or maybe he hit you. Or worse. That's terrible. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry that happened to you and you went through that. We live in a fallen world and we're all sinners. But I want to encourage you today, if that was your experience growing up, God can heal your wounded emotions and he can use the pain that you've experienced to help others that are going through something similar. But still, it behooves you to honor your parents and obey them while you're under their roof. Now, let me talk about obedience a little bit. The discipline of obedience. Let's talk about that. That word obey means to hear under. That's a literal meaning, to hear under. So it implies coming under authority as a child, under your parents' authority. So the ability to hear and respond to direction. Now, this is an important skill you're going to need your whole life. And most of us would say, yeah, I think I could improve in that area. For me, I would say, at least I used to think, it was a genetic defect. Why I couldn't obey my parents it was just, maybe I was born that way. And let me give you an example. My mom or dad would say, take out the trash. And two hours later, the trash was still there. It's like their instruction, their command went in one ear and out the other. Now, I've always thought that your brain is in between your two ears. 
But somehow my mom's words would bypass my brain entirely. And I didn't hear. So listen and act on the word that you've been given. It will help you hold a job. I'm convinced that if a child won't obey his or her parents, they probably won't obey their teachers or their boss or a police officer or God. And so God puts children in the home in a safe environment where they're unconditionally loved to learn these skills and not out on the job where their boss doesn't care about them. The pleasure of obedience. And you heard me right. Pleasure. It feels good to obey. It brings joy. It brings satisfaction in your life and harmony and a sense of righteousness. And this is true for adults as well. When God's word says something like give and it will be given unto you. When you give, don't you feel joy in doing that? And just good. You feel good about it, that you've obeyed God's word. And the promise of obedience, the promise of obedience, this is, Paul says, the only one of the Ten Commandments with a promise attached to it. So Paul quotes it here in our passage from the book of Genesis, which promises quantity and quality of life, that it may go well with you on the earth and that you may live long in the earth. We all want that, that biblical principle. Now, that's not to say that every disobedient child is going to die young. It's not saying that. It's a general principle of life. So how does God now want me to respond to my children? We've talked about what's required of children. How about what's required of us, adults, parents? Don't exasperate them is the first thing. Now, if I'm a kid, I'm quoting this verse constantly to my folks. You're exasperating me. Don't do that. Exasperate. Or provoke means to embitter, dishearten, or anger. Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And notice the text says fathers, because we fathers tend to do it the most. It's very easy to father a child, but it's very hard to be a father. Think about this verse. It's amazing it's in the Bible. Paul wrote this at the height of the Roman Empire when children had no rights. The father had absolute control over the family. It was called the patria potestas, which means the father's power. He could kill any of his children if he wanted to. He could sell them into slavery if he wanted to. At birth, the child was laid at his feet. If he picked the child up, it was accepted into the family. If he turned and walked away from it, it wasn't. And oftentimes they would take that unwanted child then and toss the child in the river, of which Christians were known to line the rivers in the Roman Empire and jump in and swim and rescue those, what would be today, aborted children. So it's into that culture, I want you to understand this, into that culture all around the Apostle Paul and his listeners that he said, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. That, that's a very revolutionary thing to say. And, and while the New Testament was light years ahead of anything else. So what exasperates children? Let's listen to a few of those dads. Unclear boundaries. We want our children to obey us, but sometimes our, our rules are unclear. We might say, don't watch so much TV. 
So what's too much? You know, be specific. Or don't wear that. Why shouldn't she wear that? Well, it's too revealing. So show them, explain it, make it clear. Like this dad, his rules are pretty clear, I think. Ten simple rules for dating my daughter. And I'm not going to do all ten. Here's rule number one. If you pull into my driveway and honk, you better be delivering a package. Because you're surely not picking anything up. Rule number five. It's usually understood that in order for us to get to know each other, we should talk about sports, politics, and other issues of the day. Please do not do this. The only information I require from you is an indication of when you expect to have my daughter safely home. And the only word I need from you on the subject is early. Inconsistent discipline. That would be the B in your sermon outline. Inconsistent discipline. There should be consequences for disobedience. If I say you need to be home by 11, you've got to mean it. If you're wishy-washy about that, they're going to be late. And I don't think I always did that well. I guess I wanted my boys to like me. It's better to be loving yet firm. If they know there will be consequences, then more apt to obey. If you're late, you'll be grounded for a week or whatever the consequence is. Be specific. Under C, unbalanced criticism. I think that exasperates children. Not balanced with encouragement. Look, constructive criticism is good and necessary. Children need it. But they also need encouragement. Somewhere I read ten parts encouragement to one part constructive criticism. Haim Gannat said, a child learns what he lives. If he lives with criticism, he does not learn responsibility. He learns to condemn himself and to find fault with others. He learns to doubt his own judgment, to disparage his own ability, and to distrust others. And above all, he learns to live with the continual expectation of impending doom. Uh, Benjamin West, in the world of art, is, is, a, is a well-known artist. And he tells the story of how he became an artist. He loved to paint. And one time his mom was out of the house, maybe going to the store or something, and he made a big mess with his oil paints, maybe all over the kitchen or whatever. And she got home and saw that. And the first words out of her mouth were, you painted a picture of your sister. And she kissed him and put his painting on the refrigerator. And he said, it was my mom's kiss that made me an artist. Think about if she would have walked in the house and just start yelling about the mess he made. How discouraging that would have been to his heart instead of encouraging him to pursue his abilities in art. So children are motivated by encouragement. And so are adults. The D would be unreasonable demands. Unreasonable ones. Maybe I don't give a reason for my commandment to my child. I just say, because I said so. And, you know, that's okay for two-year-olds, but it doesn't work for 16-year-olds. Because you're teaching life lessons. 
God commands us to obey, and his word usually explains the benefits to us by obedience. I think the reality is many of our demands are selfish. They make us look good. And that's why we're doing this to our children. Or we're trying to live through our children because we didn't like we don't like our life so much. Like sports is a good example of that. When I was younger, I was good at sports. And so when I had boys, I wanted them to be good in sports, too. And, and, you know, so sometimes you look back and think, did I push that too much? Could they have maybe pursued other things that they would have been even better at? I don't know. But I know if you push something too hard, then that child can feel like, well, I never do it well enough. And then they project that on God. God's unreasonable. His demands are unfair. I could never do enough to please him. And the E is undeserved anger. Undeserved anger. Have you ever yelled at your kids when you got home from work because the boss yelled at you? You know, you were just in a bad mood and you just took that out on your kids or family. And so admitting that can be really tough. Asking kids to forgive you can be a good thing because they'll see you're a human being, too, and not perfect. And they'll respect you more. Okay, so that's a don't. Don't exasperate or provoke your children to anger. What's it do? Let's say some things positive here from our text. And that's do bring them up to know and love God. Do bring them up to know and love God. We see that in verse four. You create an environment for them to grow. Take their physical growth. Do you cause them to grow? No, you can't. You provide food and a bed. You provide an environment there so they can grow physically. And the same is true emotionally and spiritually. You create an environment in your home that they can thrive emotionally and spiritually. Remember, again, your, your goal is raising responsible adults, not just kids. Again, like the farmer, he plants the seeds. Uh, there's not much else he could do. Maybe he irrigates, but it's really God is the one who causes your child to grow physically, emotionally, spiritually. You just create that environment. Psalm 127, 3 to 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Children are a blessing and a reward. Some days maybe it doesn't seem like they are, but they are. So how do I nurture my kids? How do I create this environment for them to thrive? The knowledge of Scripture. That's the first thing. It's important. How do kids learn to know about God and his ways? God's word. But today there are many parents, adult parents, Christian parents who don't know God's word because they hardly ever read it. That's why we're encouraging the 21 days. Get in God's word every day. Spend time there. Read it. Memorize it. Apply it to your life. People in the world aren't going to do that. And we've lost our moral grounding in this country because we've moved away from God's word and its authority. The Bible has most answers for life's questions. It's guide. It will guide you into all truth. So help your children to know and love the Bible. There's the action Bible is is a good Bible for kids. 
But they must see you reading it. If you know and love Jesus and you're in the word, they're going to see you and they're more apt to do it themselves, which flows right into point B. Be an example. Someone said Christianity is better caught than taught. Your kids watch you. They hear your words and how you live is even more impactful than what you say. If you tell them, don't steal, it's wrong to steal. But then they hear you on the phone bragging about how you're cheating on your income taxes and how you're taking some money under the table and not paying taxes. What are they going to think? They're going to think, oh, I guess it's okay to cheat. Or you say, God should be the most important person in your life. But they never see you pray. They never see you read your Bible. You skip church because you're waxing your boat on Sunday morning. What are they going to think? It's a conflicting message. You've got to walk the walk as well as talk the talk. But even your mistakes and failures in this area can be a teaching time for your children if you're humble. If you hide your faults, they're going to see them anyway and think you're a hypocrite. But if you're open and honest and admit your mistakes, then they're going to embrace you and your faith. Let Christ live through you. Confess your faults when you mess up. Josh McDowell, in his book, The Last Christian Generation, interviews countless teens who say the church won't be included in their future. Virtually two-thirds of church kids say they'll soon walk away, with about two-thirds saying they don't believe in the church's pivotal teachings about Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, or Satan. This lack of belief also translates into behaviors as 93% claim to have lied to a parent, 75% say they've cheated on a test, culminating in a full 98% that clearly don't reflect the life and heart of their founder. Who's failed here? Parents will be quick to blame the church as they are to blame the school when Johnny can't read. But the truth can be found more by looking in the mirror than out the window. When asked who or what is molding and shaping your attitudes and actions, 78% of teens say, it's my parents. Parents have three times more influence than the youth leader. McDowell, who has talked to more teens than likely anyone else on the planet, having personally spoken to 10 million teens in 84 countries, in more than 700 college campuses, has written more than 100 books, many geared to youth, suggests some solutions. Stop handing your kids over to the church to train spiritually. Yeah, we'll come alongside, but it's on you, parents. Parents need to get involved in the process of passing the baton to the next generation. This happens best in small, transformational groups where honest confessions, support, and holding each other accountable to change are hallmarks. Since they are the major molders of our children's values, parents should insist their kids get involved in one of these groups. Then join one themselves. Life groups, Sunday school class, these kind of things. Because their stats don't improve much on their kids in terms of being right up there with non-Christians on barometers such as extramarital sex, lying, and cheating. So verse 4 said, fathers... Don't exasperate your kids. Dads, you're the point man in your house. 
You are the coach of the team. And it's not about forcing your kids to conform to your list of rules, but it's about developing them to be responsible Christian men and women who will grow up to glorify God. Not just teaching the right things, which is extremely important, but living and modeling those right things to them. There there was one day in my parents' union where I had this realization, I'm the only dad my boys are ever going to have. But maybe you're a stepdad today. So that's an important role. Step into that role and fulfill it to the best of your ability. Now that we have a new granddaughter, I'm thinking of a new role that I'm taking on that's new for me. I want to be an influence in her life. I want to be a godly man that she can look up to and admire and leave a legacy to her that speaks of Jesus Christ. Now, single parents, my last word is for you. I just marvel at the job you do. I couldn't do it. So how you do it is amazing. And definitely as a church want to come alongside you and support you and help you in this road. And singles, I'm going to share a word for you next week. We've talked about marriage and parenting. Now we're going to talk about singlehood next week. Let's pray. Lord, so much I thank you for your word. It is so practical. Not only is it the ultimate truth of life, but it's so practical and helpful for living our life in this crazy, chaotic world. So thank you for the foundation it provides, for the strength that that we can put roots down in it. And it's solid and it's not going to be blown away by cultural winds. Just like this passage, if we apply the end of Ephesians 5 in our homes, our marriages are going to be better. And in chapter 6, our parenting skills are going to improve. Help us, Lord. Help the parents today. And help us, Lord, to know and live for you and be an example to those around us. We may not have children in the home, but the children of this church and the children of the neighborhood and uh, the children of our family members, they're watching us. So help us, Lord, to represent you well. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Let's stand.